This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. The tour to Texas Rangers continues here on Play by Playcast. Welcome back in. Thanks, as always, for clicking subscribe or download. My name is Joel Godet, television and radio voice of the Ball State University Cardinals. And right now, in particular, the Ball State University football Cardinals, who are Monday, they were off Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You're listening to this Friday. Four days in to fall training camp. That time of year again for us in the college broadcasting uh ranks into high gear some long hours at the office last couple of days covering training camp and getting video board shoots and all of those things in order it's all the it's all the other things when people when people ask what you do for a living you say well i call the games they go well what else do you do or they say that's a full-time job well no uh it's, it's all the other things that that keep you up at night that make this time of year in particular exceedingly busy but for that reason uh, exceedingly exciting so to all those of you who are kicking your seasons up into high gear as well uh, best of luck with all that Uh, it's fun enjoy it and uh, I'll be honest I can't wait until September 2nd and kick off for us at Illinois rolls around so we can get off and uh, figure out the depth chart and the roster and who's going to play we have a lot of newcomers this year so it's uh, it's gonna be interesting and it's exciting Uh, because of all of those things but we are here for the podcast so we will dive right in uh at play by playcast by the way as always on twitter i'm at joel godet feel free to interact please do as always the the pleading to if you enjoy the product uh give us a retweet quote tweet mention something of that nature uh to let people know that you've listened and uh, and hopefully spread the word and spread our community as well but uh, i say toward the texas rangers because we've had a bunch of Texas Rangers guys on in recent weeks. Josh Lewin, uh, who was the former television voice for the Rangers and actually is mentioned uh, fairly extensively in today's episode, uh, was on a couple of weeks ago. If you want to go back through the back catalog and uh, check out his episode. Victor Rojas, if you didn't hear last week's episode with Los Angeles Angels television voice Victor Rojas, uh, who previously did radio with Eric Nadell in Texas, uh, go back and listen to last week's episode because I... I said this last week, and I mean it, and and I, I say it again today. One of my favorite episodes that we've recorded, and I've said that enough times on the podcast to kind of dilute it, but I I, I mean it when I say it. Uh, one of my favorite episodes that that we've recorded. So if you get another half hour, forty five minutes, uh, do go back to last week's episode as well. Our whole back catalog, all the way up to uh, Carter Blackburn's episode one, is always here at your disposal. But uh, we had Josh Lewin former Texas Rangers guy. We had Victor Rojas, former Texas Rangers guy. And now we have Jared Sandler, who is in his third season as the Rangers pre- and post-game host. And then he does fill-in play-by-play as well, uh, both for Eric Nadell and for Matt Hicks. And then does the Frisco Rough Riders on television, which is the AA Rangers affiliate in the Metroplex, the Dallas Metroplex down there. And then does um, television and web broadcasts for... What's now the G League, the Gatorade League, it used to be the D League, uh, the Texas Legends, the Mavericks um, 
team down there and then works for the radio station too and does a lot of different stuff or has worked for the radio station uh, and does a lot. We're going to get into exactly what he does in a second here in his full job. But um, Jared Sandler got in with the Rangers by working his tail off and kind of being in the right place at the right time. And it's, it's the true definition of luck. What is luck ultimately? There's that old, I don't know how old it is, but there's a saying uh, you know, luck is when hard work meets op- uh, opportunity or when preparation meets opportunity. Uh, Jared Sandler is a perfect case of hard work, preparation, meeting opportunity, and then winding up uh, on a major league broadcast team at a very young age in his early uh, to mid-20s. Before we visit with Jared as well, a uh, quick note on Texas. And this was mentioned in last week's episode with Victor Rojas But I wanted to bring it up again because it was relevant in the last week with Adrian Beltre racking up his 3,000th Major League hit. And the radio call of that was circulated on Twitter and the internet, of course, as it should be, uh, a lot. And it wasn't Eric Nadell, who's a Hall of Fame voice for Texas. It was Matt Hicks, who's his partner. And Victor Rojas talked about when he broadcast Sammy Sosa's 600th home run back when he was with the Rangers. And it wasn't Eric Nadell. It was Victor Rojas who got that call. And it speaks a lot, I think, to a guy like Eric Nadell's character, both as a broadcaster and a person. Victor Rojas mentioned last week that he felt when they were together that every time Sammy Sosa came up to bat with 599 home runs, if he was doing the play-by-play, he would cede the at-bat to Eric, let Eric do the at-bat if he homered, He'd have the 600th call. If he didn't, he'd cede the next at-bat to him. And Eric Nadell's response was no. Those are your innings. You're on the broadcast. You're on the team. If you happen to be the guy when he hits it, then so be it. That's how it goes. It's not about who the call belongs to. It's about that the call happens. And I thought that that was really interesting and, again, spoke to who Eric Nadell is when I heard it last week. And then, of course, the radio call of Adrian Beltre's 3,000th hit comes around, and it's Matt Hicks. Same thing happens several years later, where you've got a momentous occasion in Texas Rangers history. A guy who's beloved down in Arlington comes through with his 3,000th hit. Whoever was on the call had the call. You know, it wasn't about who the guy was or whose voice it was. It was just about the fact that it happened, and whoever was on on play-by-play, when the moment happened, their voice is the one attached to it. So I just wanted to uh, re-emphasize that note of something that we talked about on the podcast last week that, uh, again, uh, popped up again in broadcasting this week. That being said, let's get to Jared Sandler, who is the third member of the Texas Rangers broadcast team. And the first question was, well, you know, he wears a lot of hats. So Jared Sandler, what exactly do you do? down in the Dallas Metroplex area. Uh, Define your role for us as we start things off here on PXPCast. Yeah, so with the Rangers, I did pre and post. And, you know, the numbers grow each year, but this year I'll end up doing about 20 regular season games of play-by-play in the number two chair. And then on top of that, I I handle a lion's share of the spring training games. Uh, And that is because our, our two primary broadcasters, Eric Nadell and Matt Hicks, both have earned uh, the case into varying degrees. Eric gets uh, you know about three games off. Matt gets uh, about five. 
And so I, I'll handle play-by-play when when they take advantage of those days. Uh, and then, you know, for the Rangers outside of that, they've, they've got me doing uh, various things online through social media. Uh, we do a, a weekly Facebook live show with a player and a member of the media. Uh, you know, I'll go out and, and this to me is, is maybe one of the cooler things. I'll, I'll go out and they, they trust me enough to represent the organization for some speaking engagements or appearances, which I take a lot of pride in uh, because I know that, you know, those decisions don't come lightly. Uh, and then outside of that, uh, I work for, I do work for the flagship station, 105.3 The Fan, which is a CBS radio affiliate in Dallas. Uh, I do a lot of kind of Rangers, I don't know, they call it like a quote-unquote insider. Um, I don't know that I'm really an insider, but, uh, you know, offer up some Rangers opinions and information. And then I also, for that station, will do some just general sports talk hosting, which for me is a lot of fun. I, I've, I love baseball, and it's become such a big part of what I do professionally but I'm not a baseball-only guy. Uh, and then in the offseason, uh, or I guess outside of the Rangers, I do uh, the Double A Frisco Rough Riders TV games. They have a 10-game package on Fox Sports Southwest. The Rangers wanted me to get some TV experience, so I do that. Uh, so what few off days I have during the baseball season became even fewer, but it's a lot of fun. It's definitely a challenge. And then I do TV for the Texas Legends. They are the Mavs. I guess now G League affiliate uh, located in Frisco. So uh, I get to do a little bit of basketball in the offseason too, which I have a lot of fun with. What do you like most? Because that's like, I feel like in a way that's a broadcaster's dream from the standpoint of you do a little bit of everything. I think I, I, mean, I definitely love that aspect of it. I love the fact that I'm not just tied to one sport. And, you know, frankly, Joe, for a long time, I was so just radio only. And it wasn't that I had anything against TV, but that's all I really knew. And I do love the fact that now I'm getting to do some TV because of the challenge of it. And I think like I get asked a lot, which is tougher, radio or TV? And to me, they're both tough in different ways. And I definitely have more experience on the radio thing, though, you know, I have got years and years and years and years and years and years of work left to, uh, you know, accomplish to, to continue to improve but I definitely have a much longer way to go on the TV side. And I, I enjoy that challenge. I enjoy kind of being back at the start, reviewing tape at a much more basic level and trying to improve upon things that hopefully a year from now, I'm not even thinking twice about. Uh, so I enjoy that part of it. But I think like in general, the games are always going to be the most fun for me. Uh, I do love sports stock because I love the ability to just, essentially kick back and talk sports with friends, you know, what it boils down to. But the games will always be the most fun and the most special for me. So whether that's doing radio for a baseball game or TV for a baseball game or or TV for a basketball game, the games have always been and always will be the most fun because it's reality TV at its best and things happen on a nightly basis that you just can't predict. And the drama that comes tied to that in addition to the very special moments that get played on pilot tapes and whatnot, uh, that stuff to me is always the most fun. And I, I think, you know, as I talk to you today, I think that will always be the most fun. It certainly is right now. Can we talk process a little bit, uh, if that's okay? Um, 
because, and I, I, we've touched on it on this podcast before, but I don't know if we've ever really delved into kind of the path that you took um, from the standpoint of going to a major market and gambling on yourself and saying, if I put myself in the area and work hard enough, opportunities may or may not present themselves, and hopefully they do, and then hopefully you put yourself in a position um, to, to be in consideration for those. What was it like for you? And obviously, Dallas is home, so there's a little bit of a, um, a draw there. But what was it like for you to go from the gig that you had up in Great Lakes, doing minor league baseball, doing a talk show, you were doing women's basketball at Central Michigan, um, to give that all up with no guarantees necessarily to go down to Dallas and say, I'm going to go to a market and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my luck? It was scary. You know, on, on one hand, I was super excited because the goal was always to be able to work back to Dallas. You know, my family's South African, so I don't have extended family scattered throughout America. My family, my nuclear family, my brothers and my parents, and now, you know, my nephews and niece, they're all in Dallas. But everyone else, 90% of my family is in South Africa. And so for me, Dallas is always even been more special because of that. You know, some people I know can go to, they can blindly point on the map, you know, and find someplace in America and they've got family within two hours. I, I don't have that. So I've always wanted to work back to Dallas. I love the city uh, because that's the city I grew up in. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say it's the greatest city in the world, but I've always loved Dallas. And I love the fact that there are four major professional sports teams and more than that, two golf tournaments, uh, you know, they've got uh, Texas Motor Speedway. They've got an MLS team. They've got, you know, several minor league teams. There's so much going on in the sports scene. So from that side of things, I loved it. But everything else was really scary because when I was in Michigan, I was relied upon to produce and produce a lot. And I love that responsibility. And I was getting plenty of opportunities to get better. When I came to Dallas, I was a part-time guy. And I was, you know, in a lot of ways, an afterthought, you know, I would get the, I would get the, the scraps and I knew that I was working for people who wanted more for me, but I knew that I had to wait my turn. And I, I ended up getting incredibly fortunate that the process of waiting my turn was nine months, but it could have been nine years. You know, I, I didn't know there was no guarantee. And they told me that they said, listen, we, we'd like to, tell you that we think by 12 months, by 18 months, et cetera, you'll be this or you'll be that, but we can't guarantee anything. And I didn't end up getting my break with that group, with the, the, the job that I, I left Michigan uh, to come to Dallas for. There was a, a switch in, in radio rights on the Rangers side, and that's ultimately what led to it. There was a, a contract that got in the way of the previous pre- and post-game host ability to switch over from the ESPN radio affiliate to the CBS affiliate. That created an opening, and I was in the right place at the right time. But it was definitely scary, because I'm now living in a in a big city that's way more expensive than where I was living in Michigan, and I was making less money. I guess for a time, I was making the same, and you consider that for the first four months, I was living at my dad, but eventually my stepmom was like, you got to get out of here. You're you're 25 years old. You need to start living your own life. And so that part was daunting. Uh, You know, you are kind of blindly jumping. And I was very fortunate that things worked out the way they did. 
But like, I'm always someone I want to work. And I, I remember there'd be days where I'd, I'd wake up and I'd be like, well, I got it. What am I doing? Like, I've got it. Can I do something? What can I do? And I would show up to the station and I would sit there during the, you know, the morning drive show or maybe it was the midday show or the afternoon drive show. Just help out with basically nothing. I made myself an intern because I didn't like sitting around doing nothing. But, you know, as a part-time worker, that's essentially what I was. I was a guy who worked every once in a while, but a lot of times had zero responsibility. So did you just, uh, would, like, would show up when you weren't supposed to and, hey, what, what does somebody need? I Yeah, and I, Joel, I didn't miss a DFW sporting event for like a six-month stretch. If the Mavs played, I was there. If the Stars played, I was there. If the Rangers played, I was there. I mean, it, you know, the Cowboys certainly. And I don't even know if people I, who my who are my bosses, my superiors even knew. But listen, I had this credential. I always told myself, I the ability to go to these games, I would. And I had nothing else to do. So I would, I would do some writing. I would try and create content. But yeah, I mean, there'd be times I'd show up and the producer of the shows that, you know, I'd shown up to potentially help. It's like, we don't have anything for you to do. You can sit and hang out, but like, there's nothing that we really have for you. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's just what it was. And it's kind of that like cliche story of show up and make yourself more valuable than you really were. Except I don't even know that I ended up making myself more valuable because there just really wasn't much going on uh, that I could help with it. So what'd you do, like when you would show up to a game, what would you do to make yourself valuable to the station? I would I would get sound after the game. I would send texts to the various show hosts saying like, you know, before a game, hey, this guy's hurt or this guy's uh, not going to be playing or whatever information I could glean from whatever pregame media availability there was. Uh, and then again, postgame sound. I would tweet, you know, I, I was associated with the ESPN radio affiliates and not that I had a lot of followers to really make it truly valuable for them. I would try and show that uh, the station had a presence. And, and that was the other thing too. Is, you just make yourself you know, an insider. Always, yeah. And, and I, I always felt like it was just good for the station to have people there to show these teams, Hey, we're going to be there. We're going to, we're going to make a point to cover the teams. And, uh, there weren't people for whatever reason who were willing to step up and show up a lot. And so I became that guy uh, who kind of, serve as a station representative uh, in the event something happened. And, and I'll, I'll never forget, I was still a part-time worker when Ron Washington abruptly resigned from the Rangers in 2014 with you know some off-the-field issues. And I got a call. I was at, at a restaurant called New House. Uh, I was having a, a peanut butter, a grilled peanut butter and banana sandwich that I had never tried before. But it looked interesting with a little honey kind of mixed in. And I got a call and said, we need you to go to Arlington. And at that moment, it, it was the first time I, I think I really felt good about what I was doing because they had called me because I was the guy who knew my way around the ballpark. All the other available people were never there. And so they felt more comfortable with me and the relationships I had established. And that's the other thing, too. I'm not going to act like there wasn't a – a selfish angle here. I also knew that by showing up, I was meeting people and I was creating relationships and I was networking, uh, whether it was people who were my industry peers or people who maybe one day would be in a position to hire me. I knew that by being there, as long as I conducted myself in an appropriate manner and was going about things the right way, at the very least, I wasn't hurting myself. So it was, I, I definitely felt like I was adding value to the station or trying to, but I also knew that. I was adding value to my 
abilities as a part-time worker to try and uh, go from part-time to full-time. You uh, obviously wind up in the in the job you have with the Rangers now. You talked about it with the, the rights changing hands and contract to the previous pre- and post-game host getting in the way, so job opens up. You have a relationship with Eric Nadell, um, and, I, and I read that he, he had gone to bat for you to, to help you um, into the role that you're in now. Uh, tell me about your relationship with Eric and uh, kind of what it's like to, to be mentored in some ways by a, a guy of his caliber. Yes, I was the annoying kid in high school who said he wanted to be a broadcaster and would email Eric because of that. Because here's this legend I grew up listening to, and now I have his email address, and why not abuse the crap out of that? Uh, But basically, my high school basketball coach, who was also my eighth-grade math teacher and someone to this day, uh, through my share of very close relationship, had a, a, a friend... Uh, who went to Northwestern with Josh Lewin, who was at the time the Rangers TV play-by-play guy. So my contact with Eric actually started with Josh. Uh, I would email Josh, and eventually I had the the cojones one day to basically ask him for a job. And there wasn't an intern. There was no such thing as a booth intern. He just <laughs> kind of created the job for me. And I essentially became the runner for Josh Lewin and Tom Greaves. And then... I figured while I was there, I may as well become the runner for the radio guys, too. So I volunteered my services to them. But it was through those experiences that I got in touch with Eric Nadell and got to really start forging that relationship uh, while I was in high school. And it's a relationship, I think, that you know, we all get people who reach out to us and say they want to do broadcasting. And you know, frankly, it's it's not as glamorous at times as people think, and so they decide to change lanes and pursue something else. I stuck with it, and I think because of that, Eric then started to take more of an interest in my career and, and maybe my questions and, and my conversations with him. Uh, but he was always willing to help out. And what I appreciated most about Eric is that when I would send him tapes, I wouldn't get the yeah, you're doing great, kid. Just keep up the good work. Yep. He would he would tear me apart. And it stunk to read in the moment, but then I would take a step back and realize I'm getting legitimate criticism that I can now apply uh, to my broadcasts and get better. And I always appreciated that. And we just, we always stayed in touch. And when I was in town, uh, when I'd come home from college or when I would come home from working in Montana or Michigan, we'd get meals and, you know, he seems to, you know, Eric doesn't have kids and I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm the son he never had, but he, he has been great about taking several kids under his wing. And I'm just fortunate that I've, I've been one of them. And, uh, that relationship is incredibly special. And the fact that he did go to bat for me when, uh, you know, I was a candidate for the pre and post game show host opening was truly special. And, you know, there there's several pinch myself type moments that I have and the ability to call a Rangers game with Eric Nadell, the guy I would notice listening to when I was seven years old, uh, is one of them. The fact that I get a share of boots with them, uh, which, uh, you know, I'm certainly not worthy, is incredibly special. And again, this is the guy that just as a Rangers fan, before I even thought that this is a career I wanted to pursue. This is a guy I grew up listening to. Uh, and then he, it became, he became a guy who was my foremost mentor. And the fact that I'm now working with him is incredibly special. And he is 
outstanding and you know he's incredible at what he does he's a hall of famer for a reason but he's a hall of fame person and has been a hall of fame teammate as well uh and that that has been really special to be able to experience our relationship from that frame of things has been really special what's the best thing he's told you you know what the best thing he's told me is to is to have fun uh and and I'll stand on that because it's it's more than just have fun. You know, I was so concerned. I used to be so concerned with the mechanics of broadcasting. I thought, as you know, as I was trying to create a demo tape, that it needed to be a perfect inning from a mechanical standpoint. And Eric's the one who told me to hell with that. Essentially, you know, yes, there are mechanics that are certainly important, and you don't want to totally. Uh, ignore those. But a great broadcast is not one that is perfect from a mechanical sense. Uh, no listener, no Rangers fan is going to, uh, has ever told me when I told him to do play by play, no one has ever told me, man, I love how mechanically sound you are. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they, they enjoy broadcasts that make them think or that make them smile or that make them laugh. You know, they enjoy the entertainment side. And, and obviously there's a balance. You're not trying to just do a bunch of gimmicks for the sake of entertainment because that gets old. You need to provide the information. You need to let them know what's going on. You need to paint the picture. Painting the picture is still the most important thing, but you need to have fun doing it. And I think for so long I got in the habit, and I, I, I try to tell this to younger broadcasters before they even can think of falling down this path, I got in the habit of sounding somewhat robotic because I was so concerned about doing everything by the book that I lost personality. And I think the greatest thing that he's taught me is that you got to have fun and you got to, you got to have that personality and it, it doesn't have to be perfect from a mechanical sense. And it's okay to make mistakes. And if you make a bad mistake, have fun with that mistake. That, that to me has been, incredibly valuable it's again it's not just to have fun a lot of people say smile when you broadcast to have fun <laughs> well he really carried that out to kind of that next dimension as to what that truly means and that's been really valuable for me and then the other thing is you know and this isn't broadcast related but just watching him go about it's not stuff he tells me it's watching him go about uh his day-to-day from a preparation standpoint to how he treats people that's been really important for me to see too. I, I don't think I've ever, I hope I've never been a guy who mistreats people, whether it's someone who could hire me or someone who you know is the janitor uh, at a visiting arena. I, I've always tried to treat people the right way, but just seeing him treat people and how he treats people, that, that I guess further reinforces things, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, what And what's the... You talk about personality. You talk about not being too mechanical. Uh, was that – what was the hardest part of that? And, and what were the things that maybe hung up uh, – hung you up the most in terms of, um, hey, I've got to fo- – I, I want to focus on getting this, 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 and this in. Um, what was hardest about getting away from that and, and still uh, putting forward a product that you were proud of? Yeah, I think like, on one hand, I had spent so much time, so many hours, so many Saturday nights in my you know silly uh, on-campus house while all my friends were out partying, working on becoming a broadcaster. And I was, you know, not that that work wasn't valuable; it certainly was. I mean, it was 
incredibly helpful and shaped the progress and growth that I was able to achieve, whatever level of progress and growth that was. But I didn't have that mindset. So for years, I was I was trying to practice becoming a broadcaster who maybe didn't have as much personality as he needed. It was it was more robotic, and I had personality when I was in broadcasting. I just was trying to find myself behind the mic. There were. And I don't know how to explain it to this day, but you can get a dry run of the broadcast, but the minute, for me at least, the mic goes on or went on, it was different. Now I'm at a point where I'm getting closer and closer to being the exact same guy when the mic is on as when the mic's off. Just from a personality and conversational standpoint. I think working working out of what I was initially working towards was really tough. You know, you develop habits, breaking those habits were incredibly tough. And then I think figuring out once I was able to sort of start cracking the seal there, figuring out what worked best for me and, and continuing to develop, you know, I, I, me, I just continuing to, it's not develop, develop's not the right word, I guess. I'll, I'll go back. Continuing to do a better job of putting me on air, uh, you know, being the same me that you'll meet and you'll talk to, and you'll hang out with when we're not anywhere near a sporting event. Uh, that that was for me a challenge at times. And Eric almost gave me the green light to be that guy, uh, and that was important for me. I don't know why. You know, it's it's weird. Like you and seven other people could try and teach me a skill and. For whatever reason, you could be saying the same things, but you just clicks with one person. Sure. And with Eric, that's that's kind of when he had that conversation with me, it really clicked, and things really started getting put into motion. Whereas in the past, for whatever reason, very knowledgeable people were telling me similar things, and it just it didn't stick as much. What was your first game in the major leagues? Do you remember? I do. July seventh. Uh, 2015, the Rangers were playing the Arizona Diamondbacks. And what was, I think, most special about that for me was that I got to share it with my dad. So when I was driving from Minnesota uh, to Dallas after a summer in the Northwoods League, uh, after my junior academic year, in college, I read Always by My Side, which was a book by Jim Nance. And it was pretty much about his relationship with his dad and how eventually he got to a point in his career where he was able to bring his dad along for the ride. His dad, who has since passed, uh, got to share the Masters experience with him, Final Fours, football games, everything. And I remember reading that book in one sitting. And I'm, I'm, I love reading, but I'm a very slow reader. And so it's very tough for me to start a book and finish it without closing the book. Some people I know are able to do that. I'm not one of them. I read that whole book, and afterwards I looked up at my dad, and I basically made this promise I never thought I'd be able to fulfill. I said, if I ever broadcast a major league baseball game, because at that time that was the only type of game I, I figured I'd ever be able to broadcast. Uh, I wasn't doing much in the way of basketball or football, baseball seemed most realistic, as far-fetched as it still sounded. But I told him, if I ever broadcast a major league baseball game, you will be there. And I never thought I would ever realize that dream. I mean, how could I? I was a, a summer collegiate league broadcaster <laughs> entering his senior year of college. 
I didn't even have a job after school. I didn't know if I was any good. Uh, and so I remember that day being so much about everyone else. Uh, and that's how I wanted it. Um, it was a special day for me, but my routine during baseball season is that I wake up and I go work out. And on that day I woke up and I went to go work out and I always send texts and emails while I'm doing cardio. I'm, I, cardio is way too boring for me to just sit there and yeah, me too. not do something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I started, I, I thought, you know what? I need to text this person or I need to call this person. And eventually this person and that person became a whole laundry list of people who I thought were so integral in, in my career, in my life, getting to that point, I wanted them to be a part of that day in some way, shape or form. And so I essentially, actually, probably, I was going to over-prepare like crazy for that game. I mean, I, I didn't know any other way to do it. And I'm probably, it probably saved me from doing way too much preparation to where I wasn't able to take a step back. But, uh, I actually spent probably about three hours that day sending texts and making phone calls to people who had helped me along the way, former bosses, coworkers, friends who would take the time to listen to my broadcast in college and send me a text saying, hey, that was great, even when it was a horse-fat broadcast. But that encouragement helped keep me going when I had no clue what I was doing. And it, all, it was all punctuated by having my dad in the booth with me and uh, having him there. Uh, next to me, a memory that was captured by Kelly Gavin, our team photographer, uh, and then further captured by Barry Horn of the Dallas Morning News, who felt that story worthy to put in the paper. Uh, that, to me, is what I will always remember. I remember the Rangers lost. Uh, I actually, uh, I'm someone who does remember lots of details about random sixth grade sporting events. I don't remember much about that game. I remember looking to my left and having my dad there throughout the evening and knowing that that was as much for him as it was for me, because he's been the one who's always told me to follow my dreams as financially impractical as it might've been. Uh, he was the one who, you know, always kind of gave me the extra strength to, uh, wake up in a small town in great falls, Montana thinking, Oh, Oh my gosh, what am I doing with my life? But to keep going. And so to have that with him, I mean, he's my best friend. That, that's what I remember about the first game. Uh, and I hope that that's always what I'll remember, the people who made that possible. And, and as I told you off air, Joel, I don't, I don't sit here and think that I'm deserving of any of this. What I would admit is that I've worked my tail off. I, I, I'll put my work ethic up against anyone's. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, but I know there are way better broadcasters out there than I am who would die to – broadcast a major league baseball game i don't know why i was lucky enough to get that opportunity and to continue to get these opportunities but i'm incredibly thankful for it i'm also not arrogant enough to think that i did that on my own and so that's why for me everyone else being important on that day was important because or important to me because i wouldn't have been in that position without everyone else what is the fraternity of major league broadcasters like? Um, and particularly, you're 24 at that point in time, or 25 at that point in time. Yeah, uh, yeah. What's it? What's it like when you kind of when you when you crack that, and now you're in that group? Um, and how much do do, do those guys kind of take you under your wing and uh, or under their wing and uh, help bring you along as as kind of the the new young kid on the block? 
Yeah, you know, at first I was almost embarrassed to to kind of act like I was a part of that. And I, I don't even know that I necessarily act like I'm a part of it, but broadcasters around the league are gracious enough to, to make me feel included. Uh, but, you know, I look at Matt Hicks, who's, you know, uh, Eric's primary broadcast partner uh, and someone with whom I've developed a, a close relationship inevitably, from, you know, being a teammate of his, he spent over 20 years in minor league baseball. And a part of me feels incredibly, a large part of me feels incredibly guilty that I barely spent three years in minor league baseball and I'm getting these opportunities. And I, I try to be respectful of that fact when I'm, when I'm talking to, you know, other broadcasters. And, uh, you know, I think at first I was almost embarrassed when I would talk to them, how little dues I paid essentially, you know, from that standpoint. Uh, but they, you know, they were the ones who were so gracious in, in talking to me and, uh, you know, my first year congratulating me on, you know, getting the opportunity. Uh, and, you know, Eric and Matt were tremendous in, in that way as well, because when guys would walk in the booth and I'm, I'm naturally more shy. Uh, and so they would introduce me or, you know, they would introduce me in a way that made me feel like I belonged. Uh, and, you know, now that, you know, this is year three, there are still broadcasters who I'm meeting for the first time because of interleague play. Maybe we haven't played that team before, but especially on the American league side, I, I pretty much know, you know, most of these guys now and uh, you know, they're, they're great guys. And, you know, obviously you have guys you like more than others, just like in any walk of life, but uh, it's been, it's been really neat to get to have conversations with some of these broadcasters and, and learn from them and, and just become friends with them. I mean, you know, it's, it's more friendly faces, uh, you know, in the booth uh, when they're in the press box when they come to town. That's always fun. You know, now I look forward to certain teams because I look forward to casting up or, or talking to you know various broadcasters. Some we get to see a lot of in spring training, uh, and then once a year uh, or twice a year in the regular season. Others uh, who are in our division we see more of. But it's always fun to get to talk to these people. And I'll tell you too. I wish it necessarily wasn't this way, but getting this job relative to when I first moved back to Dallas, I guess uh, made me more worthy to talk to to some people in the media here in Dallas. <laughs> you know, before they, you know, they didn't have as much time for me. Now, you know, they're they're going out of their way to talk to me, which, <laughs> you know, I, I I guess inherently there's something wrong with that, but. Uh, I do. I have very much enjoyed the relationships with various members of the media and various, you know, my broadcasts and peers for the various sports teams. Getting to develop relationships with those people, uh, you know, has been really cool as well. Is there a difference to calling a major league game um, than a minor league game for for guys that uh, are out there listening that have wanted to make that same jump as well? What did you uh, most notice as a stark difference from what you were used to uh, when you got thrust into a, a big league game? Yeah, I. So, if you can handle the pressure, uh, and by the way, that first game I did, I was so nervous that I didn't say a word in the first inning. You know, now it wasn't incredibly noticeable that I was uh, that I was not talking in that first inning outside of you know from the group of people who were listening, so looking forward to my first words. But I was doing you know the role of the color analyst in the first inning, and it was a quick. And that's where I ran out of room. But the good news is that that was the last question of the interview. Well, it was the second to last question of the interview. So we got virtually the entire thing in there. Amateur hour on my part. Uh, I did 
through some quick magic, uh, get some more space to ask one more question. And it goes back to something at the beginning, which I was very curious about. So I'm glad we were able to double back to it. And that's the fact that Jared is from, originally, uh, his family has roots in South Africa. They're, I mean, they're South African. So I was curious from the standpoint of the fact, Gifton Gope for the Pittsburgh Pirates, when he debuted this year, got called up from AAA after several years in their organization, became the first African to play Major League Baseball. Not the first South African, the first African, like the entire continent. So I wondered, the family that still lives in South Africa for Jared, what they think he does. Like, what is this sport he works in every day? So ask him about it, because I was curious. You know, it's it's awesome. So, you know, there when Kipton Gope made his Major League debut earlier this year for the Pirates, the first ever, you know, African-born, but, but specifically South African-born, player to make it to the majors, that was a special moment for my family, uh, or at least for my dad and my brothers, uh, who were born in South Africa. I was born in Dallas, but I, I very much uh, am proud of my South African heritage. You know, on one hand, it's cool because it's different, uh, and it's allowed me the opportunity to go to a country that maybe I never otherwise would go to. Uh, on the other hand, it stinks when I don't get to see my family nearly as much. You know, my, my dad's mom I've seen three times in my life. Uh, you know, for two weeks stretches of time, but, you know, I don't have the same relationship uh, on a day-to-day level with cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents that I might if, if they lived somewhere in America. But, you know, the, the South African thing in baseball is really unique. And, you know, I come from a very athletic family, so sports has always been a big part of it. But, you know, as you know, Joel, baseball is really not a big thing in South Africa. Yeah, uh, Cricket, you know, if you want to use a sport that's somewhat compared, I mean, cricket's huge there. So it is a little bit. I've actually never been asked that question as far as how it relates to, you know, my place in baseball, how it's, you know, how I feel uh, being a South African person who works in baseball. But I guess I'll say that it's unique. I don't, I don't know that I've met anyone who is from South Africa or has brothers and parents from South Africa in baseball. So it's different. Do some of your relatives know what baseball is that are back home? <laughs> yeah, so, no, that's not an ignorant question. And I, I'm i sure there are, well, what I'll say is this. I, obviously, there are people in South Africa who are just so disconnected from the sports world who, you know, they don't know anything about baseball at all. Uh, my uncle actually was a part of a program growing up that tried to help spread baseball. So he played baseball for a couple of years. He's the only one in my in my South African family, uh, outside of my brothers, who grew up in America playing baseball, uh, who's played baseball. They don't know. They all know what baseball is. Uh, they know that you know, like if, if you were to if you were to happen uh, upon one of my family members in South Africa and ask, you know, what's your cousin or grandson or nephew Jared doing, they would know. You know, he, he broadcasts baseball, and they more or less know that is. I don't know that they know all the intro. They definitely don't know the intricacies. <laughs> I think they know the general premise of baseball. I don't know. I think they know it's nine innings. I'm not sure. I, I honestly don't know that. But <laughs> they do know that it's, you know you score runs and you get hits. But uh, I imagine they would be confused by a lot of the rules. Uh, so it's not like they're familiar with baseball from that standpoint. And there we go. Our first South African. And uh, 
pre and post game and fill in play by play voice of the Texas Rangers, Jared Sandler, joining us here on play by play cast. Uh, my thanks to him for taking the time on an off day uh, where he could have been doing any number of things. He spent some time uh, shooting the breeze with me and shooting the breeze with us here on the pod. Uh, next week, Tony Caridi from the West Virginia Mountaineers. We're going to dive into college football starting next week here on the podcast. Tony Caridi, uh, another WAER alum and a Syracuse alum like myself. Um, love Tony and uh, looking forward to the conversation that we have coming up next week. Uh, if you have questions, by the way, for Tony Caridi on next week's pod, feel free to tweet them at me, email them to me, tweet them at the pod, at PXPCast, at Joel Godet. Uh, let me know. Uh, talking to Tony next week for the podcast. So if you have anything you would like to hear, uh, we will take some some audience questions and fire those Tony Carini's way. But uh, they're playing Marshmallow, so we're out of time, and that'll do it for us this week. Until next week, so long. This is Play by Playcast, and we're out. <laughs>